0: Your host hasn't seen everything in sports, but sometimes he acts like it, and his guests probably have. Now, the host of Scorecard Scribblings, your sports guy, Brent Weber.
1: Well, as we continue in this era of sports chatter during the time of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're just trying to keep it light and keep it going, and everybody remains concerned uh, dealing with things that we've not had to deal with and... In our lifetimes here in the United States and um, in terms of uh, uh, a shutdown, um, we're just trying to have some fun. I'm trying to pull the curtain back, too, on some uh, folks that I've met over the years who are um, outstanding journalists, sports journalists, storytellers and so on. And one of those guys I've only met one time, but found his uh, his work prior to that to be among the best and uh, in person and just talking sports uh, he was right up to the same alley, and so I introduced to you tonight our guest Daniel Brown um, I guess if you were a writer Dan Dan has uh, been with the athletic for a long time, I would to say you're probably past your quarter century mark as a sports journalist. I'm just going to throw that out there you're much younger than I am I am old yeah but I am old you are much younger you're you're an older you are younger old than I am okay, um, okay. But uh, it's great to have you on, and you know this right now, this time is, well, it's a time to babble. I'm babbling, and that's kind of what the uh, the shutdown has done to all of us. Either you're bouncing off the walls, or you don't know who to call next. How is it working out for you in your household?
0: <laughs> yeah, the bouncing off the walls thing. That sounds about right. That's the only sport we've got left, right? Bouncing off walls. <laughs>
1: Now, Dan, I mean, you you and I met at that Sabre event and um, a lot of your sports, great stories on all sports. I want to talk about a lot of things that I've seen. But, you know, we've got that baseball between us and I kind of wanted to start out. uh, We both have a long love and history of baseball. And I kind of want to start out today with just putting it in perspective. um, If we were. In midseason, every player would be wearing number forty-two today. I guess Jackie Robinson Day, and the MLB Network and um, all of their media outlets have been devoting attention to Jackie Robinson. Um, you know, you again, you're a little younger than me. I I never obviously got to see Jackie play or in person. I was on the East Coast when he was older. But um, any Jackie Robinson crossovers for you in your life and your career? Yeah, I mean, for
0: sure. I mean, today is. You know, it's a baseball holiday, Jackie Robinson Day. <clears throat> Everybody wearing the 42. And I guess one of the fun things about today has been, you know, on Twitter, on social media, you see players remembering that. You know, they season's not going. There's no games on the slate, but people are chiming in with their Jackie Robinson salutes, and that's nice. Um, one of the, the the closest thing I got to a crossover was when the movie 42 came out a few years ago. One of the cool things that the studio did is they got some of Jackie Robinson's old teammates, to speak to the movie and speak about Jackie Robinson. And I wound up talking to Don Newcomb, the great Dodgers pitcher, for a long time. And, you know, got one of those guys who really benefited almost immediately from, from Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And, you know, he talked about the movie and its authenticity. And, you know, he thought the Branch Rickey per, uh, portrayal by um, Harrison Ford was terrific and, uh, and, and Jackie Robinson himself. You know, one of the things that he talked about, because we, you know, as sports writers, as fans, always talk about the Giants-Dodgers rivalry. And Newcomb told some interesting stories about how, yeah, they were rivals on the field, but Jackie Robinson, Willie Mays, Monty Irvin, all those guys were friends. And after a Giants-Dodger game, no matter how heated, they'd all go out together. And Jackie and Willie and Monty and um, some of those other pioneering Ball players, they realize it kind of had a bigger fight, a bigger struggle going on than, than uh, a Giants-Dodgers Tuesday afternoon game. So I didn't know that. I didn't know how much camaraderie there was between those greats and, and those um, supposed rivals. And Newcomb, Newcomb kind of brought that to life for me. It was really, you know, that's one of those where you don't ask a lot of questions. You just sit back and listen.
1: Yeah, very interesting. because, And that makes sense considering that, you know, those guys had uh, – well, they were facing, you know, social pressures. Obviously, that you and I can't can't relate to, but we can historically try to continue to understand. Because again, wasn't that long ago? Um, you know, that uh, it makes sense that they would have that. I don't know that inner camaraderie that they probably even came over from the Negro Leagues where. You know they were proud of what they did as a group, as they should have been, because they were great ball players, um, and maybe that uh, that really probably helped them all through the transition.
0: Yeah, the one difference uh, Newcomb uh, pointed out was that you know Willie and those other guys were they'd go out and hit the town, and Jackie Robinson was not a guy who would hit the town. <laughs> really, you know as the movie portrayed he was super 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 dedicated to his wife who was in that struggle with him and he said that was not hollywood fiction that jackie was really was that dedicated to uh, the woman he married
1: right we're talking to dan brown from the athletic of course you you know his work prior to that from many other places as well san jose mercury news do you still have the uh, twitter handle merc brownie oh no, I'm uh, Brownie athletic now Brownie athletic okay so we've got to get that right um, uh, I am not the the Twitter guy that I should be but I live vicariously uh, through others and um, the fact of the matter is contacts right now for journalists and sports journalists you being in a place you know you know working the the, the bay area mostly for for your career um, that's got to really help you in terms of contacts, trying to get in touch with, um, you know, feature stories, maybe stories that that you didn't know were out there until you just started calling people. Uh, Is that some of what's going on out there, trying to, you know, stay relevant with what's going on, um, you know, beyond Twitter?
0: Yeah, I mean, for example, I did a story the other day on some of the Bay Area commercials that used to air. They were called Carpool Confessions. (laughs) They'd air during Dodge, uh, and Giants games on the CSN Bay Area. And, you know, the premise was they'd take their two anchors, and in the back seat would be a Steph Curry or a Buster Posey or, um, uh, you know, Billy Bean of the A's. And the gag was that they were on their way someplace, and uh, there'd be some, you know, Billy Bean would be working the phones the whole time, or Andrew Bogut, <laughs> all seven feet, would be sticking his head out of the sunroof. And, you um, so know, we kind of, Besides the games, you miss goofy fun like that. So my boss decided, hey, let's do a story on the history of those ads and find out behind the scenes. And during a regular season, it's so hard to get some stars on the phone. But in short order, like with no sweat at all, Hunter Pence called, Andrew Bogut called, Zaza Pachulia called, Stephen Vogt called, um, Billy Bean called, of course. <laughs> the whole gag was him working the phone. So I mean, it was nice to know that in this time of uh, uh, sports, standoff, That those guys are just as bored as we are, and we'll happily call up and talk about some 30-second ad they did five, ten years ago.
1: In fact, I, I loved that piece in the, in the Athletic, and I thought the same thing as I was reading it. I'm like, why, you you talked to all these guys who were available to kind of go back and, and talk about it. And that's when I also uh, saw one, and I'm guessing you found the one, and I may pronounce her name wrong, a piece you'd written uh, recently about Rebecca Mira. Did I pronounce that correctly? the uh, middle distance track runner from Stanford. Was that your piece?
0: It was. Yeah. Now she, she was, uh, for the, for your listeners, she's a runner now who lives in Oregon actually. And really at the very beginning of the COVID-19 when the world started to shut down and, and there was a, you know, probably even more fear and uncertainty that there there is now, because now we kind of know the drill, but she was working a, her way across a parking lot, the Safeway way to go stock up on some goods for her shelter in place and, Uh, she heard a kind of a shout-out from a car nearby, and she turned and looked, and it was some old woman, older woman, and her husband had had the window cracked down just halfway, and they called her and said, can you help, can you help? (laughs) Rebecca Merrill walked over, and uh, the couple, the elderly couple, was too scared um, to go into the store and buy the stuff on their own, because they're at that danger age, and they were asking anybody who would give them the time to go and You know, she gave him the grocery list and a $100 bill, and Rebecca took it inside, did all the shopping, crossed up I think, everything on the list, and brought it back to the car and loaded it in. And, you know, kind of that was that. I mean, she did, as she said many times, what anybody else would do. But uh, her boyfriend encouraged her to put it on Twitter and just say, here's what I did. Here was the reaction. Um, Remember to look out for your neighbors because... Simple things can can mean a lot to these people, and it went crazy viral on Twitter. Like she was not a big star or anything; she wasn't having she was somebody who had a huge number of followers. But she started watching it go to a thousand likes, two thousand likes, a hundred thousand. And by the time she checked the next day, three hundred uh, million, not three hundred million, three million people had seen that post. So I did a story on her and her reaction and some of her running history and. I think people liked it because it was, hey, uh, she did a simple thing, and it kind of resonated around the world, and that's the the age we're living in now when little things go a long way.
1: We're talking to Daniel Brown, Dan Brown with The Athletic, also the author of a couple of books uh, particularly of interest to Bay Area fans, The Big 50, San Francisco Giants, The Men and Moments That Made, the San Francisco Giants, and I want to ask you a little bit about, um, it looks like you might be doing some uh, updates to the 100 things 49ers fans should know, we'll talk about that a little bit as we continue on this edition of Scorecard Scribblings with Dan Brown, I'm Brent Weber, your host, stick with us, we'll be back in just a minute. Can I ask you a question? You got a moment? Mm
0: -hmm. Which team do you play for?
1: Well, I'm a peach. Well, I was just wondering, because I couldn't figure out why you would throw home when we've got a two-run lead! You let the tying run get on second, and we lost the lead because of you! Now you start using your head! (laughs) Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Are you crying? (laughs) There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Well, that is my favorite baseball movie, and that's saying something if you consider it. But uh, I, I got to get my league of League of the Run out there. Dan Brown of the Athletic. Uh, do you have a favorite baseball movie or sports movie in general? That's a tough. That's oh, a big, wide-open field.
0: You just played it. You might know it. Not you might not know. But I'm a leading League of Their Own uh, enthusiast and scholar. Oh. A couple of years ago, I went and covered a League of Their Own reunion softball game for the Sporting News. This was, They played in Bentonville, Arkansas. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like a where are they now for a League of Their Own. Yeah. Got caught up on all the players. Uh, there was no Tom Hanks. There was no Badonna, But uh, Gene Davis was there. Dottie, I should say Dottie Hinton was there. Uh, Mama Hooch was there. All the big spaghetti, all the big stars. Oh, so, wow. yeah, that's my favorite.
1: I, I, I that's that's great, and that's the that's the nature of our why we do this. I mean, I, I went back and found a a, uh, a column, I guess, that you wrote after you started with the Athletic about to, you know how your your career or your path towards being a sports writer, sports journalist, sports writer, sports began as it does for so many of us, uh, you know, as a kid collecting baseball cards. And um, you say in here that uh, that that there's one card that still sits in the home office. Is that true?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's still there. as a reminder. It's like the origin story. Yes, yeah. the beginning hang in the office, and I look at it from time to time and remember how this all began.
1: Now, who was that? Who is that guy? Let him know.
0: Well, yeah, so when I was uh, play, playing, it wasn't even little; it was like keyball ball age, eight years old, playing baseball in the park, I found a baseball card of a Chicago Cubs pitcher, uh, 1978 tops card, and went home and studied all the stats, got totally enamored. That card became buying a pack and studying all the stats and all the back of, you know, hundreds of others. But that first one turned out to be Mike Kruko, uh, a <laughs> great Pleasure of my life, a zillion years later, was telling him that story and blaming him for this uh, lucrative, non lucrative career that he's gotten me into.
1: <laughs> well, and of course, Kruko, his second career is uh, arguably surpassed his first uh, great announcer for the for the Giants. And my story when I was I was such a fanatic as a kid that my poor mom, I would make her take me to this one drug store that was a few miles further away, like way on a whole nother boulevard, way out of kind of our zone because there was a nice lady that worked there and she didn't, I took advantage because she thought every pack was a nickel. And at that time, I think each pack was a dime or even more. And so I went, as long as she would sell them to me for a nickel, I'd make my mind. Then eventually she caught on, but I'd say I got uh, at least a a good season's worth of cards at half price.
0: Yeah, that's solid work.
1: I don't still have them all. How about you? You know,
0: I tried my best over the years to keep the good ones, but there are a lot of non-good ones, and they're long gone. And then the funny thing is, I don't know if you've ever tried this, but I I can't find anybody to take them. (laughs) Donate them to give them away to find some neighborhood kid to foist them upon. Nobody wants my 1979
1: Mike Ivey, so away they go. <laughs> he was a pretty good hitter. He was, he was a born hitter. Um, you say that. I have a, a friend who's actually been on this show before, sportscaster, sports uh, journalist in the, in the L.A. area named Jake Downey. And Jake, uh, one of his passions is when his son was playing ball, that he was the baseball card guy. I don't know where he gets them. He buys them in lots and then he puts them in packets and he would go to every baseball practice, every baseball game, every tournament that his little kid, that his young kid played into until he became a teenager. And he would give out cards. They're a mixture. And guess what I get about once a month. I live in Northern California now and about once a month I get a pack of cards. And every now and then there's a, you know, I got one here with Hunter Pence wearing his Houston Astros jersey. I, I couldn't quite. Uh, that one's sitting on top, and uh, an a Justin Verlander just just came in the mail to me the other day.
0: Uh, the baseball card guy is still doing it. That's good to know. Yeah, so you know that's, that's what
1: you could cool. maybe do with some of your old ones. Just send some, send a pack to your friends every now and then. Just yeah. see what you'll get in return.
0: Uh, Sorry, that package returned to
1: sender. We're talking to Dan Brown of The Athletic, also author of a a couple of books uh, Bay Area-wise. We mentioned The Big 50 uh, about the San Francisco Giants, and one that um, you're working currently on updating, my understanding, is 100 Things 49ers Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And – I guess I kind of broke the news, huh, that uh, you're working on an update of that one. I saw it on Amazon Prime.
0: Yes. Uh, Yeah, I hadn't really said that yet, but so I'm happy to uh, hear you are all over it. Yes, the 100 things I did a couple years ago when the Niners were lousy, it didn't look like it was going to be needed to be updated for quite some time. (laughs) But the Super Bowl run last year got the publishing company very eager to let people know about Kyle Shanahan and George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo and you know, the great defense and the Super Bowl run and you know, some of the chapters are just on game, so the Dre Greenlaw hit uh, late in the season, things like that are now part of Niners lore. So we needed to update the book. The other thing that was a little tricky was at the time I wrote the book, the original version, Colin Kaepernick was this rising young star who looked like the quarterback for the next decade and things changed for him uh in a lot of ways so yes, that did. part is going to look a little different now
1: wow so we get to update that but you know it's also cool when we when you get a chance to look at some of those there's some guys i'm guessing that uh either aren't around anymore that for the first time that uh you're able to revisit them as you kind of go back through that book uh, it's got to be some classic stories in there yeah
0: it was fun there was, you know some guys i um had covered for many years, and and one of the great things about that those Dynasty Niners is is they're all still around, so uh, they're kind of involved with the team, they're involved with the franchise, they're a regular game. Um, Roger Craig, who I never covered as a player, but he's become my favorite guy in the world. He did the foreword for the book because he is the most gracious, accessible, energetic, optimistic guy I've ever been around, and you know, so he's a chapter in the book, he wrote the forward, and he also helps me fill in the gaps for guys like, um, I don't know, just what the 80s locker room dynamic was like. You know, the things Joe Montana says in the huddle, the things uh, uh, he and Rathman used to combo up on when they are in the backfield at the same time. So, I don't know, getting inside the huddle like that I think is one of the keys to the great, you know, any kind of great sports story or great, Sports journalism involves knowing more than you'd know if you saw it on your TV, and um, getting to know Roger Craig has been one of the great pleasures of my life.
1: That's very cool. I know I covered um, with CNN the West Coast the the nineties teams and the Seifert and Young and and those and um, you were you were there on a daily basis, but you know we'd fly in for a day, and it was very difficult to you had cerebral guys, smart guys. Jerry and Joe and even Steve who were, you know, at that point very careful with their time. So it was really hard to get, you know, to know them, um, you know, and I find when I see them later at an event that that's when you can actually find out, uh, you know, more what was going on. I think that's the the joy of that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, Those guys were so in game mode. Cause I will ask other people, what was it like to cover Roger when he's playing? And they're like, eh, he's fine. But now that he's got some distance from it and can look back and appreciate it, he wants to talk about it as much as anybody. And I think that's true for Jerry Rice uh, especially. He was, from what I understand, I only cut, kind of caught his late career, but he was really difficult um, with the media for a stretch. And now he's Mr. Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> Yeah, and totally gregarious at every event you go to. So those guys, if they're not playing, get, getting beat up every Sunday, they're actually kind of pleasant.
1: Yeah, and that, that was that was my experience with Rice. He, he would sneak out the back. You know, um, yeah. his, the the PR guys would say, "Okay, you've got Rice this time. You got." And you know, we were coming in for flying in for a day to do two or three interviews and and you'd just see him sneak out the back, you'd get that, but once he, once he was in front of the camera, no doubt about it, there was, he was never going to get caught being a jerk in front of the camera, but, uh, um, those were the times that they were, they were all business before and after practice, as I, was my experience in those days.
0: Yeah, no, another funny thing is, like, you know, sometimes they'll assemble those guys for a panel, like a (laughs) alumni event or something, and, Jerry will be on the panel and if a few minutes go by where nobody's asked him a question or if he hasn't chimed in, I mean, he'll stand up. He's bored. He wants to focus again. <laughs> it's laughable. Like, Hey guys, Hey guys. Uh, Cause the timer has gone off on his head for him to be the star of the show again. So uh, maybe he was just saving himself all that time for, <laughs> for his career. Uh...
1: Well, you can, you can go to yeah. actually to Dan Brown's uh, page on Amazon, um, uh, and if you find Daniel Brown in the store, you can click on and you'll see that uh, you can pre-order the new one. So there's some pressure on you now. I guess you gotta I guess you gotta get it done uh, by the end of the summer or start of the season or something because people are pre-ordering that book, uh, the, the second edition, I guess.
0: Yeah, pre-order. I haven't seen it yet. I know it's in it. I won't give you any
1: spoilers, but um, yeah, pre-order. Very cool. Dan Brown's our guest on Scorecard Scribblings. We're going to take another break. When uh, we come back, we'll uh, find out a little bit about what uh, what he knows and what we should know about what sports will look like when we return to action. and Or do we know? I'm not sure anyone has any of those answers yet, but we'll we'll play along. When we come back on Scorecard Scribblings with Daniel Brown. Stay with us. We got to play them one day at a time. time. Uh, I'm just happy to be here. Hope I can help the ball club. I just want to give it my best shot. And the good Lord willing, things will work out. Thanks things will work, work out. out. Yep. Yeah. Things will work out. That is, okay. Daniel Brown is our guest from The Athletic, sports writer, award-winning journalist, and um, you of course uh, mentioned he's the author of a couple of books, uh The Big 50 about the Giants and 100 Things 49ers Fans Should Know and Do. Um but I got to ask you who is your all-time best cliché interview? All <laughs> uh, sports. All sports any sport. All sports.
0: God, what a great question. What a fantastic question. <laughs> um off the top of my head, and uh, and I say this for a special, well, okay, too, because uh, it kind of fit the same mold, but um, J.T. Snow was spectacularly boring, but intentionally so, because he actually was a very kind of a charismatic guy and interesting and all that stuff, but when the cameras came out, he had no interest in being the colorful quote, the spokesman, the, uh, uh, the Guy who would fill your notebook. He had no. He had no use for that. And I always thought it was a calculated. thing. I never asked him about it, but it was a calculated thing to be boring uh, with the cameras are rolling, so that we wouldn't do it so often. <laughs> we had to do a lot because those were the a lot of the Barry Bonds teams. So Bonds would go hit two uh, gargantuan home runs, and we need somebody to say something. And um, Snow made it clear that he was not that guy. And Posey is the same way. Um, I think he might mean more genuine genuinely boring get right. uh, a colorful quote out of him why yeah yeah good luck I mean he never um, shows even a hint of emotion which is a credit to him but uh, not a real huge um, favorite us. Uh,
1: I'll tell you my I, both of my favorites and and this will this will resonate if you ever talk to either of them which I believe you did uh, Both hail from San Diego, One, both who are no longer with us, in fact, which is very sad. The great Junior Seau, Junior could string together seven, eight cliches, but the very best I ever dealt with was Tony Gwynn, spring training, CNN, sports, end of the day, last thing. He says, okay, what stories are we going to talk about? And you tell him we're going to do this, 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 this. And then he just started talking. A 10-minute soundbite answered all the questions, all the cliches, but all the questions. And then he said, we done. I didn't even have to ask him a follow-up uh, because he got it all in there. Those two guys could, could uh, get you the answer whether or not it was cliche-ridden or not in a, in a, in a hurry. Uh, you know, I
0: did. I never dealt with Sayo. Um, I went to his uh, posthumous uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Canton, and his, his daughter sure could talk. Um, she was fantastic. Uh, but my luck with Gwen was a lot better. I, I think that's really interesting. He—I um, don't remember him being a cliche guy. He was really good. A lot of times we were asking about Gwyn, about bonds and swing mechanics, and he could talk swing mechanics. And the way he could kind of break stuff down, I always thought he was um, fascinating. I wish I'd saved some of those tapes.
1: I guess, and I guess I—I should—I should rephrase that in that. I don't think juniors, juniors, in all honesty, was more the cliche guy. Uh, Tony was just, I love the guy. I mean, he was, he was, as you said, there was nothing he couldn't talk about. And when I try to teach young journalists and if the times when I've, uh, I've had a couple of times where I've mentored athletes too. If you can do like Tony Gwynn, you listen, you try to answer the question that's asked and you be intelligent with it, offer what you can. Then you're gonna you're gonna go a long way, and that's what he did. I mean, but he could go on, and uh, without even breathing,
0: he was fantastic. He was always kind of, kind of the same as you. I'm an out of town writer. I don't see him every day. He doesn't know me, but he was the most accessible superstar that I can remember. Maddox was a little bit like that, but not nearly as interesting. And I always appreciated guys who were like that because it reminds you that. Yeah, it is a burden, if you're a star athlete, to deal with the media. But Quinn just made it look so easy because he, like you said, he would talk for a couple of efficient minutes, and then that would be that. And um, the game was better for it.
1: Daniel Brown is with us, uh, The Athletic. And, you know, as we're talking about the pandemic, sports being shut down. As of right now, unless I'm doing my math, the last major sporting event, it could be, who knows, championship of 20. Of was the Super Bowl, and um, that should be a year to go. Wow, what a great year for the Forty ers But the bar is really high there. You got to kind of win it all. It seems like the air went out. Is is everybody still behind that team, getting so close and losing to such a, a good team?
0: Yeah, the interesting thing to me is that they, the the scapegoat wheel has landed on Jimmy Garoppolo, and. I think a lot of the fallout after that has been, is he the right guy? The way he wilted in the fourth quarter when they needed a throw or two to connect, the question has arisen, can they do better? Is he the problem spot? <laughs> um, and that's uh, coming up with the fact that they played a couple of playoff games in which they didn't uh, throw very much. Uh, they ran the ball a ton. And the question was raised now, does does even Kyle Shanahan trust him to carry the offense? So my opinion um, is that Garoppolo is just fine. I think that there are a lot of problems in the fourth quarter uh, against Kansas City. I think Kyle Shanahan really likes him. I think they didn't need to run in those other games. Um, I think he was trying to, uh, in the Super Bowl at least, probably keep the ball out of Mahomes' hands mm-hmm. by running a lot. Um, I mean, Jimmy G missed the throats with Manuel Emmanuel Sanders it would have been an all-time kind of game-winner kind of thing. But I think that the team, at least, the locker room, the coaching staff, the general managers behind uh, behind Garoppolo, um, you know, that defense is so good. Uh, they lost to fourth Buckner. I'm really curious to see how they approach that in the draft. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about a receiver at number 13, I think they might go defensive line at number 13 or trade around to get a defensive lineman. Um, But that team is kind of built um, for a sustained run of excellence, I think.
1: And being that, being that football, uh, the NFL level is uh, what they're doing this time of year is, is individual oriented anyway, for the most part, Um, uh, you know, theoretically football stands a chance to, to, Get going on time. Um, what is your overall feeling about the, uh, you know, I mean, and it's such a broad question, but you know, when are we going to see sports on the playing field or on the court or on the ice? I don't
0: know. What's that uh, famous quote now from Dr. Fauci? You don't set the timetable, the virus sets the timetable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I kind of don't even really read that much about, uh, you know, projections and we don't know, and I think a lot of things could change. I know MLB was kind of kicking the tires on an all-Arizona or maybe an Arizona and Florida arrangement. Um, I think that the next couple weeks are going to say a lot. I think the summer itself will say a lot. Um, The Athletic, uh, where I work, we've got a story coming up about how um, Nick Bosa is having a possible time um, training because you know the gyms are closed. He's trying to go to city parks and the city parks are closed. So he goes at 6am and the park rangers still come and kick him out. So they're having to get creative, um, with where to train and how to train. And I think that's indicative of what a lot of guys are going through right now. Like this is the NFL big business. They don't sit around the off season um, on the couch. They are working and training and in gyms and under the supervision of trainers and all that stuff. And that's just, all that stuff has stopped too. Um, NFL I would guess would be the well I feel like I said I, I don't know anything about anything so. right.
1: I guess it's calendar driven anyway I mean in 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 my mind I think baseball could get there if if all sports were due to start at the same time which they don't um, I think baseball could get there quicker um, just because I, I don't know why I think that I think the NFL would be the most difficult because of the uh, the body the the Physical conditioning that you can't replicate outside of when you're out, uh, you know, at practice, working on those things, and the intricacy of what people don't realize—blocking schemes and defensive schemes—you uh, can't just you can't just roll the pigskin out there and 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 play NFL level football in a couple of weeks.
0: Right. I mean, that's, you know, you always hear that talk when you get a new coach. <laughs> It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, he really got the system in the third year. Um, yeah, it took him a while to learn the playbook because it takes it takes years. It takes a long time to really feel comfortable. So I think that's one area where the Niners, you know, I think Super Bowl losers, I think the history has been that they kind of struggle the next year. But for the team with the same, you know, Shanahan's the play caller, Robert Stalin back as the defensive coordinator, a lot of what they put in place is is staying, I think a lot of the nucleus of that team in terms of the roster is going to be the same. You know, things like that are going to be an advantage when play resumes because um, God help the team that have a new coach, new coordinators, draft a rookie quarterback. <laughs> um, they're going to have to do the ultimate cram session and I think you're going to see it. I think you're going to see how life looks without mid-camps and installation meetings and, um, and I think teams that have some continuity are going to really, really have an advantage.
1: Yeah, I, I think of the same thing. And this just popped in my head, and I have not done a lot of research on it, so I don't know um, if I saw it on The Athletic or elsewhere. Marcus Mariota to the Raiders, is that a real thing?
0: Yeah, it's a real thing. They, uh, Mike Mayock, the general manager, talked about it yesterday. I guess kind of the history is that both when, when May, uh, May, Mariota came out of college, came out of Oregon as the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Mayock ranked him as his number one quarterback in the draft that year. Of course, he went number two to behind James James Winston, Um, but Gruden loved him, too. Gruden did that ESPN quarterback camp show and just raved about Mariota. So, uh, I guess that all stuck in their memories, because years later, when they had a chance to get him, they signed him as, uh, you know, what they're saying is the clear back up to their car. This isn't a push their car for the starting job. This isn't a training camp competition, but they like having his experience and his, you know, upside. Um, after a bad year, uh, they like his chances of um, kind of finding himself again in a new uh, change of scenery situation.
1: Well, and I'll tell you what, the NFL, there's absolutely, I don't even know why people act like it's brain surgery. You got to have two great quarterbacks because I haven't seen a, a chart lately, but what percentage of teams actually get through a year with their starter playing from beginning to end and, and not being injured and missing games? Uh, it's a you're gonna have you're gonna need a second quarterback,
0: right? I mean, the Niners learned that when they uh, Garoppolo got hurt, um, and the whole season was down the drain. So that was week three, week four of the 2018 mm-hmm. season. He mm-hmm. um, just meant so much to what they were trying to do. Uh, yeah, I, I have no argument with that. Two backup quarterbacks is the way to fly. I think the old line used to be if you have two starting quarterbacks, you have none. Clear right. cut kind of guy. Um, but I don't think that's true anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. Daniel Brown's our guest. We'll be back with the final segment here on Scorecard Scribblings. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, what, what stories they're working on. And uh, oh, I might be able to get them talk a little more baseball, too. This is Scorecard Scribblings. heaven no (laughs) it's iowa no i take some baseball in iowa right now daniel brown is our guest uh award-winning sports writer from the athletic and author and uh joins us from the bay area thanks daniel Um, am i getting you weepy with these clips of uh these classic baseball movies
0: yeah that's my second favorite, so yeah keep them coming
1: <laughs> we were talking um during the break I was mentioning to you about the n b a and we we're talking uh i think it's cool, and i think it's really a a home run for the n b a and n f l player and and major league baseball players particularly a lot of them for their presence on social media and even the um the tournaments and stuff that they're having playing n b a two k or the major leaguers doing the same thing, I think that's really been a, a big win.
0: Yeah, I mean, the eSports community realized that um, they've got a chance to get some eyeballs now for anybody who's desperate to watch even a virtual uh, Steph Curry or a virtual LeBron James go at it. And um, the Warriors actually have a um, an official team that they sponsor called the Warriors Gaming Squad that plays in these five-on-five five tournaments. Now, that that league is not based on real players they're all based on avatars but they're really trying to promote it during this shutdown era but yeah i think you're referencing the uh bunch of nba players got together played a tournament style bracket some of the games ended up on espn or espn2 i haven't <laughs> have to say, i have not been following how that's going or if it's gone or whatever but uh these sports is a huge deal i wrote a story on it not long ago um they were all quarantined too. Uh, this was the year where they were gonna really try and go out and do more live events. There are enough esports fans that they'd love to go out and watch the games at an, an arena. They'll project the game up on a big video board and fans can follow along. And um, that's true of sports video games, but also like League of Legends and these other combat games. And you know, 10 years from now, I've heard people really say this could be an Olympic sport. Like that's how fast it's growing. So, um, I have to say that if this shutdown goes on a little longer, I will, I'll check it out. I'll find some fantasy team that I can make out of these fake fantasy league, <laughs> fake uh, NBA players. It's, um, it's kind of fun, and the action is, uh, as you know, it's really evolved into really realistic-looking uh, game.
1: It's come a long way from my um, from my in television days. Uh, for me, <laughs> it would be APBA. Stratomatic stuff. Uh, so, I guess I missed the missed the boat on on being good at those.
0: Yeah, I think we're past, past our
1: video game pride. But <laughs> hey, um, anything, so, that...
0: The, the, or something, where we can go play in television or yeah, pong my, or something. My brother still made.
1: has his pong game. He still has pong. It still still oh. works. Fantastic. Um, we're talking to Daniel Brown. We'll talk about we can talk about something. Uh, you know, more important, like, um, I don't know, you doing anything during this time, uh, like learning to play the banjo or the ukulele or, uh, or, or painting the house like I've been doing anything since you've been kind of caught inside a little more?
0: No, you know, the athletic, uh, people say, what do you write about? There's no sports. We've just gone, um, the other, the other extreme and we're doing as many stories as we can to keep readers engaged. So we do a lot of top 10, this top 25, that favorite players, favorite moments. So no, my plate's been so full. I kind of wish the real games would start again. So I didn't have to work so hard to make stuff up.
1: <laughs> well, but you know, that stuff is fun too. I know I've actually been doing that. I do the, uh, summer collegiate baseball Colt 45s. And I was back, you know, who are the top 10 RBI guys? Nobody, none of them made it to the major leagues, but you know, that stuff, that stuff is fun and somebody has got to do it. Uh, uh, um, I noticed that a month or so ago, you had the Bay Air, your Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame. Um, any did you get any flack over that uh, those selections?
0: I got so much flack I stopped using <laughs> the comments. Um, I learned on my lesson on that. Here's a journalism lesson: is uh, the 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 goal of the so that every uh, city where the athletic has a bureau made one of these, and you it was the goal was. 25 players who best represent, or 25 sports figures who best represent your region, and the Bay Area. That's impossible, right? You've got a dynasty in the Niners. You had a Warriors dynasty in the NBA. You had the A's with the and Giants, both had turns running a bunch of World Series in a row and uh, or in a short span. And you know the Raiders were great. So it was just, you know, you go to make your 25, and it's. Um, you know, even from the Giants, are you going to rank Bonds as the best or Mays as the best? Um, in the Niners, are you going to have Rice the best or are you going to have Montana the best? I mean, those questions alone are impossible. But here was a mistake I made. Is I made 25 sports figures, and it was probably pretty representative. But then I, I made the mistake of trying to do a honorable mentions. and <laughs> You know That list could have been another 200 honorable mentions, and I was just kind of throwing some names out there that we debated in the comments section. Where's this guy? Where's that guy? And they were right, because um, you can't get them all. So no more of that. I'm giving you 25, and I'm stopping. Um, but it, it was also it, it, it was a nice reminder of like how spoiled we are to grow up in Northern California, where um, some of the greatest players ever in any sport um we're here often at the same often at the same time and it's really glorious. And you know, if you include some of the women's sports, like the Stanford women's basketball team and some of the Olympic swimmers that the region has produced and um you know, the top volleyball team, you know, the uh Kerry Walsh and, and Jennings, I mean, that's all various stuff. Christy Imaguchi's from here. So if you throw in Olympic sports and college sports and everything else, uh this is really kind of uh, uh I don't
1: know, one of the sports capitals of the world. Well oh, and um, you had Brandy Chastain in there um from US Soccer. So yeah, exactly. uh, I will I will tip my cap to you though. I think you did dodge many bullets by just numerically listing the elite five. I think that was genius. Then the other twenty you did in alphabetical order. So you 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 know that was wise. You had Montana one say, hey, Willie Mays, number two, Steph Curry, number three, Al Davis, number four, and Ricky Henderson, five. And, and then you had the other 20 and people, you can just go to theathletic.com and, and um, read Daniel Brown's fun piece. But I wanted to mention those top five because you had Ricky number five, which I totally 100% love the guy, the story, what he stood, you know, what his career was. Um, and I noticed that he didn't get into one of the Bay Area Hall of Fames until this past year. Um, which I thought was kind of weird. I mean, is he is he as beloved in the Bay Area as I think he is?
0: Yeah, so that was the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame. And I actually am on the board of directors for the San Jose Sports Hall of Fame, so I've gotten a little window about how this works. I'm, I, I'm just guessing, but I'm 99% sure it was an availability issue. Oh. They want these guys to come and be inducted in person. So first of all, Ricky played forever <laughs> when he retired, like, three years ago. Um, and I think he's a little bit of a, um, what's the word? He's a guy who would be tough to pin down, to say, will you come to our banquet? And I suspect that's probably just years to find the right gap in the schedule for him to come in attendance. In San Jose, we wanted to induct Steve Nash, uh, who played at Santa Clara for many years. And that's our issue, is he can't, he can't make the banquet. Um... So I don't think it was a snub. I don't think it was an oversight. I don't think the vote was coming up that uh, other players were ahead of him. I think they just wanted him at the banquet. That's a big charity fundraiser event, um, getting the people to come um, in glad hand with these people as part of it. So Ricky was not... Uh, not forgotten.
1: Daniel Brown, our guest tonight on Scorecard Scribblings from The Athletic in the Bay Area. Thanks so much, Daniel, for joining us. You can uh, find him on Twitter and find him at The Athletic and uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. This is Scorecard Scribblings. I'm Brent Weber. We'll see you next time. If you've got any ideas for guests, music, anything more, I keep the interviews pretty straight. Try to do my research, but if you've got some ideas, just send me an email, brent at scorecardscriblings.com, and thanks very much to Jared King, my producer, and to my guest this week, Dan, Daniel Brown of The Athletic. Thanks for downloading. See you next time.